Welcome to the Enneagram 2.0 podcast. I'm Beatrice Chestnut. And I'm Wood Onion Pies. And today we're talking about the Enneagram around the world. Yeah, you know, it's one of my favorite things, right? I love different cultures, I love traveling, and I love seeing the differences um, between students of each type uh, in different places. And I know you like that a lot too, right? Yes, I love traveling and I love visiting other countries and meeting the people and eating the food, of course. Yeah. And um, it's so interesting to me that with the Enneagram, it's really something that is universal. And you really learn that when you meet people in different countries who also love the Enneagram and use it in their growth. Yeah, exactly. And I think we are recording this because we are nostalgic. We are recording this during the pandemics <laughs> and not traveling for over a year. We haven't been traveling. And uh, yeah, so we want to remember. Yes, I really miss traveling and being with our friends and colleagues in different countries. And so this is our, our way of revisiting our old life and hopefully future life. Uh, and also, I think we thought it might be interesting for people to learn about how the Enneagram is being used in different countries um, all around the globe. Yeah, we can make a few comments about that also. Yes, exactly. And I think for your social instinct, uh, I know that you really, really love and respect different cultures. And one of the things I really appreciate about traveling with you is every time we go to a new country, you've taken the time to learn something about it. And you're very respectful and honoring of the local customs. And you try to get somewhat educated in some countries. I think you know more, more about the culture than others, but you're always very interested in learning uh, and kind of soaking in uh, the culture of the country we're visiting. Yeah, it's true. But I think it's not only my social instinct, but also my personal experience as a Brazilian who doesn't uh, live in Brazil anymore and who has been traveling and not being a native English speaker and so on. So there is a certain sensitivity that I have with me, having gone through different sorts of experience, both uh, very good and some that were challenging. So I was thinking maybe we could start with maybe maybe a little bit of the Enneagram history in terms of geography um, and maybe start in Latin America, mm -hmm. where you're from, and maybe tell us a little bit about your experience of the Enneagram in Brazil and some of the other countries in Latin America. Mm. After all, the Enneagram in the modern era, in the last... 30, 40 years, really emerged from Latin America. Ichazo, who's one of the main people that brought us the modern Enneagram, we're not exactly sure what his sources were, but you know, he, was, uh, he started his work in Latin America, in Chile. Yeah. Uh, and I believe he was Bolivian. And then Claudio yes, Naranjo, who learned it from Ichazo and then brought it forward to the United States, and, where, and it kind of sort of dispersed from there. Yeah, uh, was Naranjo, Chilean. Yeah. He was Chilean and trained as an American, trained in America as, as a psychiatrist, but, um, you know, Spanish was his first language. And as you sometimes point out, a lot of the 
seminal Enneagram teachings in the last 40, 50 years derive from uh, these really important figures who were from Latin America. Yeah, so a few comments about that, and I appreciate starting with my region of the world, Latin America. Um, yeah, I think Latin America has this historic importance for the Enneagram, and also the first um, big meeting where Ichasso presented his uh, uh original concepts of the nine types uh, happened in 1969, 1970 um, in Arica, uh, which is the northernmost city of Chile. Now, <clears throat> the, you know, the, the Enneagram had some development from that time in Latin America, completely apart from the later American development of it, um, North American. Um, and uh, at the same time, that wasn't much, and that was restricted because both Ichasso and Naranjo as teachers um, made sure that they would do that work in a more restrict way, like not very open for concerns with the integrity of the system at that point. Um, but later on, uh, Latin Americans got also very interested in the approaches that the Americans had uh, developed. And I mean, really 10, 20 years later, and started uh, having books, either in Spanish or in Portuguese, you know, Latin America is, is mostly Spanish speaking, but Brazil is a big country in Latin America, an influential country, and we speak Portuguese in there. So when the books started to arrive, then uh, many more people got in touch with the, the theories of the Enneagram um, of uh, the nine types. Uh, there was also a lot of Gurdjieff's work talking about the dynamic Enneagram, which is not really the typological Enneagram. So lots of other people studying that. But um, um, what I notice, B, and I would love to hear your experience, is that the Enneagram is very appealing uh, in countries like Brazil, because in Brazil we have a, a mix of religions that um, were uh, undertaken by people and with this uh, interfaith mentality. Uh, although it's mostly a Catholic country, but people really are really welcoming of other traditions, uh, usually, although we do have some fundamentalism, you know, in growing up as everywhere else in the world. But what I sense is that people are not as averse to spirituality and they like something new like the Enneagram and that favors uh, doing Enneagram work. So in my case, I, uh, I didn't have as much of a hard time to take the Enneagram to organizations in Brazil as I think that uh, people uh, had uh, in countries like the UK, the one I live in right now. 
um, you know, it's not the same concern um, in terms of people wanting to know the scientific studies. What they are interested is if it works. And you and I know how much the Enneagram works. And people like new stuff and uh, informal ways of teaching, which I also think the Enneagram invites for with panel methods, with lots of interactive teaching methods. So in, pra in short, the Enneagram grew uh, quite a bit in Latin America over time. There, there are very vivid communities in Brazil, Argentina, Chile, um, Colombia, also Ecuador, um, and then Mexico, of course, and other countries. Uh, so it's really nice to see the work that happens in there. And always uh, each of those countries with several different teachers, different approaches, and their local Enneagram associations also. Yes, for, for myself, the only countries I have visited in Latin America are Brazil, of course. I've been there many times. Um, I love Brazil. Uh, and Argentina. And uh, I noticed that there are really lively communities in these countries. And it's interesting. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression of Argentina is, and to some degree Brazil as well, is that culturally there's a bit more acceptance of like psychotherapy and psychoanalysis probably more than europe even where there are a lot of a lot of cultures in europe where they're a little bit more of the attitude of like well if you go to therapy there's something wrong with you um whereas my impression but correct me if i'm wrong because it's just an impression was that in argentina and brazil there's a lot more openness to kind of being in your psychological process, understanding your psychological process just from a growth and development point of view. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, also about Brazil, but Argentina is by far the country that, uh, you know, welcomes therapy the most. And in my view, it's a four-ish country, Argentina. And um, I think that that helps. But, um, you know, it's, um, it's even weird when someone says, I've never done therapy in Argentina. So it's the mm. opposite of the world right. uh, in general. And I think it's the country with most people doing therapy, I mean, per capita, you know. And, yeah, it's quite interesting. And I think that that invites a bit more for Enneagram work. But in general, I think that there is an attitude of openness by Latin Americans to new things and to different approaches and integrative approaches. Like psychology plus spirituality is something that speaks the Latin American language, you know. Um, and But in terms of... Um, local aspects, uh, cultural aspects, and what we see in types, uh, perhaps it's an, a good thing to say that in those countries, you won't see fives that are very, um, how could I say, like... Um, reserved. You know, reserved, introverted, as, as introverted or reserved or as fives in other places, because they need to adapt to that culture. And if you get Brazil, you think you see that everybody of all types um, look a bit like 
a bit more sevenish. <laughs> right. And I've seen teachers from other places seeing Latin Americans and saying this this person cannot be a one because look how this person dances. Well, that's not one or another type. That's being <laughs> Latin American, you know, yes. and having the flexibility and so on. So it's quite important to take into account culture, isn't it? Yes, yes. There's a bit of a sevenish overlay uh, over m many of the Brazilians that I've met. There's uh, that comes from the culture, and I think this is an important and interesting thing to know about the Enneagram types. Is that although we find that they're really universal, that no matter what country you go to, a one is a one, a two is a two, a three is a three, a five is a five. Um, at the same time. There are cultural aspects. We often call it a cultural overlay uh, where sometimes the type gets expressed a little bit differently depending on what culture you're in because there are certain messages and local customs about what's okay and what's not okay, what's a good way to be, uh, what's not so good, and that that influences the way the type appears. But when you really talk to the person and when you really find out what's going on inside, you know, the types show up much the same around the world. And what is your experience be um, as an American, a type two, a self-pressed two, uh, having taught in Brazil? What, what was your, uh, and, and you teach everywhere, so um, what did you see that felt different? Um, a few things. I think one is there's there is a, a an aliveness and I would say an upbeat mood with almost everyone you meet, sort of a friendliness, an openness, and a kind of a readiness to have a good time and feel good. It, you know, and it is a little bit of a sevenish thing. But I have another thing I want to say that I thought was so funny in Brazil. We were doing a workshop and the people were supposed to get into small groups. And, and this was back when we were still doing live workshops. So we were all in one room together and we, we told them to get in groups. I think it was like in groups of four uh, to discuss a particular thing. And every time we did this, they would be in groups of six and seven and eight. <laughs> it was almost as if they couldn't form small groups. It was almost like the party started to happen and they just naturally gravitated toward doing these larger groups. Now they worked, they were all very engaged and people were really talking. In some countries, you might do a larger group and maybe only three or four of the people would be talking. Uh, but in this, it, but in Brazil, it was more, it's like a festive atmosphere, no matter what you're doing, I would say. Yeah, what really happens is that uh, usually we start following the rules, but then, <laughs> you know, there is a, a bigger temptation of uh, breaking uh, the rules. And also, you know, when you go to a restaurant, uh, uh, it might happen that in the middle of the meal, you just join tables with the table by your side that you know, with people <laughs> that you have never seen. So yeah, that happens. Uh, I remember that as a Brazilian, I found really strange when I got to the UK and someone told me, um, when you go to a pub or restaurant and there isn't uh, any table available, it's totally okay if you ask those two people who are using a table for four to use those other two chairs of the same table. You know, it's understandable, provided that you don't talk to them. 
during the meal. <laughs> right. And as a Brazilian, I thought that was really different, a bit weird, actually, although the five in me sort of liked that. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was interesting along these same lines that you pointed out to me as a cultural difference is one time you and I were having dinner here in San Francisco, where I live, when you were here on a work trip, and we were having dinner at this really nice restaurant, and a few tables down, there was a famous person. He, The coach of the Golden State Warriors was having dinner with his family. Um, and I recognized him, and um, I even asked the waiter, is that him? Um, and it was kind of thrilling to see um, especially him because he's a really admirable character. He's a really great coach and a good person from everything that you hear in the media. Um, and I remember what you said to me is, it's so interesting. It was interesting to you that nobody was going up to him and talking to him, that, that you said if it was in Brazil, like he, people would be constantly going and saying hello and he wouldn't be left alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, that would never happen, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, very interesting. And uh, one last thing about Brazil is that uh, people who who do Enneagram work, I think that it's a bit easier for them to self-disclose because there isn't much the concept of privacy, actually, you know, in, in the mm -hmm. society that uh, you, you talk about everything. Um, it's not very self-pressy, isn't it? Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. Yes, yes. I think people are so friendly and outgoing and there is almost like an open-heartedness. So when we work there, it's it's really easy for people to well look they make it look easy like they're ready they're ready to share and, and ready to talk about themselves in a in a very um in a very open way. Yeah, and sometimes I, I'm thinking that we are just doing something spontaneous, and then I see that um, you know clients from other countries might be taking that as messy. <laughs> yes, and that's a tension in our relationship because I always like structure and to be organized and to have everything look really good, and you would rather be spontaneous and innovative and go with the flow, which I appreciate. So I think hopefully it makes for a good partnership and uh, both yeah, attention it. between the two and a and a good yeah. uh, good outcome ultimately. And it really helped me. But let's talk about some other places. Um, we might talk about the U.S. next, although I don't really want to spend too much time on the U.S. because I'm more interested in talking about all different countries than my own right now. Uh, but it is it might be good to say just historically that. Um, Claudio Naranjo, although he was from Chile, um, lived most all of his adult life here in California in the Bay Area, and he taught at Esalen in the 70s. He, he taught with Fritz Perls. He, he was uh, a leader in the Gestalt movement which and the, and the human potential movement, and he, he went down to Arica, Chile and studied with Echazo, and that's where he learned the Enneagram from Echazo and brought it back and and really um, articulated it, refined it, developed it in working with a group that he had here in the Bay Area for many years that was all about doing different kinds of self-development work, meditation, gestalt, psychodrama, psychotherapy, psychotherapeutic techniques, and the Enneagram. Um, and so because of that, I think because um, 
Naranjo started here and it, it, it sort of the Enneagram kind of leaked out from his group, even though, as you said, he originally had asked people not to share it because of the integrity of the teaching, as you said, and uh, Echazo and, and, and Naranjo, I think, had both big and legitimate concerns about the Enneagram sort of getting out there uh, in the mass marketplace. Uh, but nonetheless, it leaked out and um, some books were written after that and it really spread and became popular. But but I will say that while I think the Enneagram really spread and developed and, and uh, kind of got out there in the mainstream in the U.S., it's only actually been in recent years when it's really reached a much higher level of popularity. Uh, and so I think because of that history, I think that kind of explains why the U.S. has been a focal point or, or one of the primary locations where the Enneagram theory and application and has developed, especially as it got into the mainstream. But I will tell you this, um, at, at, a, at an, an IEA conference, International Enneagram Association Conference in 2004, and this is when you and I were on the board of directors, it was our first year on the board of directors, I was conference chair. And Claudia Naranjo's group came and he, so he didn't actually teach that much in the United States after those, after the seventies and maybe a little bit in the eighties, but especially after the seventies, he actually taught more himself with his colleagues in Latin America and Central America and in Europe. Um, and so his teachings were more located there and uh, sort of American teachers and authors really developed the Enneagram more here. And so in some ways, the Enneagram diverted a little bit from Claudia Naranjo's original work. And of course, you know, I'm a big fan of Claudia Naranjo's original work. And one of the reasons I wrote The Complete Enneagram is to really highlight the importance of his work and almost to bring people back to a kind of uh, rootedness in <clears throat> what I think is really a a high integrity of his work, especially from the point of view of psychology. Um, but all this is to say that I think in some ways, the Enneagram that ends up spreading out to, to Europe and Africa and Asia, um, it to, a, to some degree, to some large degree, was influenced by what developed in the United States, uh, especially in the late 80s and 90s. Um, so I think we hadn't really planned on giving too much history, but I think when we're talking about the geographic expansion of the Enneagram and maybe how it got around the world, I think that might be interesting for people to know who don't, who don't know that already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. And I guess that um, we're in the mode of telling a few stories. So, you know, be, I, not sure if I've ever told you, but in, in that conference in 2004, uh, I coordinated a, a, a meeting only with uh, people from outside the U.S. and with uh, the presence of Naranjo, Don Rizzo, and more important teachers. And in that meeting, Naranjo said several interesting things that I had never heard. And one of them was, um, he said that Ichasso told him that um, all that knowledge would be taken by the Americans and they would make it popular. And that's sort of what Americans uh, are much better uh, to do than Latin Americans, right? 
And and then Ichaso even said, eventually it will come back to the whole world, but it needs a development by the Americans. And it, so I thought that well, it, was very interesting. That is interesting. And, I, and I'm so glad you said that because you reminded me to say what I was thinking of saying, um, which is at that conference, I ha- had lunch with some of Naranjo's colleagues one day, and one of them said um, that they actually didn't like all the ways that the Enneagram was getting out into the mainstream in the United States. And what they called it was, it was like the McDonaldization of the Enneagram. And so I think on the one hand, of course, you know, so many people around the world are benefiting from the Enneagram teaching. So in the end, it's, it's a very good thing that so many people have access to this profound material. On the other hand, there's, there have always been concerns about what people would do with it because it is a powerful tool and it can be used as a weapon or it can be misused. Um, it can be used superficially. And so I think, I think of course we need to say that with anything that has, has so much power and depth, there are way wrong ways of using it. And you and I try to speak to those, you know, at, at the right moments when we feel it, it might be helpful to people. But I loved that, that she called it the McDonaldization of the Enneagram. And so I think it gives us a little bit of a sense of there was sort of a good side and a downside to the way the Enneagram spread in the United States. Um, and then I think from, to some degree to other countries uh, from the United States. Although I also want to say that I think many countries have continued and did all the way along to have the influence of the Enneagram f- directly from Claudio Naranjo. Uh, for instance, I know he taught a lot in Brazil and and in um, in Mexico, in uh, in and France and Germany and Europe, Italy like Spain. and Spain. Yeah, yeah right. Right. Yeah, it's true. Um, and one of the more specific concerns that both Naranjo and Echazo had was um, they didn't want to see the Enneagram being used without a deeper psychological approach and hopefully also with a deeper spiritual approach. And uh, that ended up happening, you know, in the hands of different teachers. Uh, But I think that more and more people get aware of the importance of integrating um, properly, you know, these two dimensions of the work and understanding it's not only a typology system to have fun with. Yes, and I think... Another thing, and it makes me think of our, our the Levels podcasts that, that have played probably right before this, is I think if we continue to try to evolve the Enneagram and, and put out higher level teachings, you know, those of us who are really dedicated to that, um, it's like the people who are ready for that or want that, find it, you know, it's, it's a little bit uh, that people find the right application for them. Um, and, and so I think it's about continuing to develop high quality, higher level, uh, work with the Enneagram that is deeply rooted in, in sound psychological work and in, um, transcendent spiritual work. Yeah. And Gurdjieff used to say the Enneagram system self-regulates and takes care of itself. And when it's a, a truer teaching using the Enneagram, the right people come to it. Hi, 
If you're enjoying the depth of knowledge offered in this podcast, you might want to stay in touch with us. Be and Wadanyu offer professional Enneagram training, personal development courses, self-guided online courses, and they even have a membership platform with over 100 hours of content. Head to cpenneagram.com slash podcast to learn more. So let's maybe start talking a little bit about Europe and uh, where we find the Enneagram in Europe and maybe some of the experiences we've had. Of course, you you live in a country that used to be in Europe (laughs) until right recently. Um, So maybe we could talk about the UK and Europe um, and what's going on with the Enneagram there? What experiences do we have? What do we notice about the Enneagram in the European countries and in the United Kingdom? So um, I think there are a few factors um, if you take all European countries. What I observe is that European countries whose people speak good English, uh, even if it's not the, the mother language, uh, have an easier time getting access to books and uh, teachers, and then the Enneagram grows more. And so a few a, f- a few examples are the Scandinavian countries uh, and also like Finland, uh, Denmark and all the Scandinavian countries uh, where Enneagram work is really uh, spread all around, um, but also Sweden and Denmark and and, um, Norway, uh, also Belgium, you know, Holland, those countries that where uh, people speak very good English, you know, there is a good uh, spread that happened over time uh, on the Enneagram. Sometimes more in business, sometimes more in psychotherapy, sometimes for the general audience. Uh, And there are teachers that are super successful and that like Denmark is a tiny little country with i think five or six million people six million yeah yeah, inhabitants and we we have a a very good friend of ours uh, who has taught to over thirty thousand people i think perhaps even fifty thousand people you know in denmark so it's quite interesting and um and then there is a, a rich history of the enneagram being taught in france by different teachers also in Germany, but what I see is that in France, Germany, perhaps these are countries with a richer uh, history of psychoanalysis. And sometimes, you know, psychoanalysts uh, took hold of the Enneagram and uh, it didn't spread all around as much, you know. So I think it um, makes it a bit more difficult to spread the word of the Enneagram. Well, I think I think my experience, and as you know, my brother lives in Germany. Um, my experience of Germany is that there is a, quite a bit of Enneagram there. Now, one of the founders of the IEA, Andreas Ebert, was from Germany, um, but he wasn't very active in the community after the early years. But what I've found is while there is quite a bit of Enneagram in Germany, it's not very connected to the international community, or, or we might say the English-speaking community. And I think that's because while many people in Germany speak English, um, uh, there is a sense, and I asked a couple people about this at one point, like, why do you not see so many Germans at the international conferences? And what they said was that sometimes Germans do have a desire to share about the Enneagram in their own language. 
Um, and so they'll have conferences within Germany uh, or they will ha basically have different kinds of schools in Germany also maybe that don't interact too much. And of course, um, Claudio Naranjo has partners that that work in Germany um, connected to the Hoffman Institute there. And he offers, he when he was alive, he offered regular uh, workshops and retreats in Germany. And so I think there was, and, and I went to a few of those um, and I found an incredible mix of uh, international people there. Um, a lot, mostly from Europe, of course, from many different countries in Europe, but also some Russians and some uh, people from South America, South, South Africa, rather. Uh, so I, I think that, but Germany has seemed to be a little bit more of a sort of a country unto itself when it comes to the Enneagram. Whereas, like you said, um, with Denmark and Finland, they've had a long standing uh, Enneagram community, very strong Enneagram community. There have been co international conferences held there. Uh, and to some degree, Sweden and Norway have um, come along in the last few years. In fact, there was supposed to be an, an, a European Enneagram conference in Sweden last September that had to be canceled because of the pandemic. Uh, but yes, I think there's a lot there. But I also think there's quite a bit of Enneagram in the Netherlands and in Belgium, as you said, uh, and in Spain and Portugal to some degree and Italy um, and and France, as you said. But I, I think we see fewer French and Germans at the international conference, mainly, I think, because of language. Right. Yeah, I worked quite a bit, in, I mean, in different European countries, but perhaps even more in Spain, Italy, and Portugal. Uh, and my uh, experience is that there is a lot of Enneagram work happening in Spain. In Italy, it's growing, but um, I think there was a little bit of a bigger initial... Um, you know, sensation that what 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 is that? Is it really okay? Maybe because of a bigger influence of Catholic religion and some doubts about it, but now it's really changing. In Portugal, perhaps more recent years with many teachers is growing a lot. And what I see though is that um, it's that in Southern Europe is a little bit of that mix of being more free, spontaneous, like Latin, Latin Americans, but um, but not doing as much self-disclosure and perhaps not much of the uh, therapy background. And when it comes to the UK, you thought you asked about the UK. I think it's a bit like what you said about Germany and um, perhaps the more rational approach makes the Enneagram grow a bit more in business. And also, I think that the UK is still a country where uh, I don't I don't have data statistics, but it feels like less people proportionally go do therapy. And when they go, go do therapy, um, you know, it's more uh, some kinds of therapy that don't necessarily go really deep in understanding the psyche and are a little more practical. Um, although there are many teachers in the UK, and I think it's similar to Germany in that they don't share um, as much all that is happening there with the international community. 
Now, you know, Europe has so many countries so different from each other and also so much um, uh, interested in keeping their own cultures and language and so on. So it's funny to see how different people in different European countries react to the Enneagram and how the types are a bit different. So you and I usually say that France is a bit more four-ish, the UK is perhaps a little more five-ish, and Finland also five-ish, or, you know, other countries like Germany a bit, a bit more six-ish, uh, and so on, Italy a bit more two-ish, you know. So we see that playing out. So if you go to Italy, you will think that many people might be hard types, and especially choose, but that's because of local culture. And uh, perhaps even when you go to any Latin country and also African countries in general, you'll think that people are sexual dominance, but they might not be. You know, it's a, a bit of the, the effect of the general culture. Yeah, I think I think France is definitely a four country. And there's that there's a saying that uh, Americans don't protest enough and the French protest too much. <laughs> and. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think you, you've said the UK is a five. I still wonder if it's a, if it's a one culture, but, mm-hmm. um, but we don't have to talk about that now, but I think five or one. Um, and, but I do think there has been a lot of good Enneagram work in the UK um, or in England and, and Ireland, especially. Yeah, Ireland. Um, however, I've gotten the sense that it's not, there's not like a unified Enneagram community. We recently did a workshop and we had some people, an online workshop, and we had some people from, from England participating and they, they were, they were remarking that there wasn't too much going on there. Um, I think that's changing. I think we have some colleagues and friends that are um, sort of scaling up what they do and getting more connected. Um, But I don't think it's, it's always been, integrated in the larger community or that that there's been a lot of it there. I do find that in the UK and I find this in Australia and I think also to an extent like in Germany and in Switzerland and places like that there is a kind of reserve and a a little bit of a hesitance to open up to the enneagram for instance you find more people asking about is this scientifically validated, you know, and if it's not scientifically validated, then I'm not sure we want to do it. So even in business, I find there's some hesitance. I, you know, I worked with a company with the Enneagram for a while that um, had a lot of the, the company was in Switzerland and there were often, you know, those, those teams there were often very European and some of the people could be very open and really understood the power of the Enneagram very readily, but other people were a little bit suspicious. And, and again, I, I don't think like depth psychotherapy is widely accepted as a cultural norm there. Certainly I think some people do it, but I think it's, it's a little bit more, self-preservation oriented, maybe head oriented. I think Germany is a social six country. Uh, and uh, I've heard that some of the Scandinavian countries are five-ish. Uh, so I think there is a way that while the Enneagram is, you do find it quite a bit in Europe, that it hasn't really been embraced uh, so completely, especially maybe as a spiritual tool. Uh, it's been used a little bit more practically, 
uh, and not always in in the in the way that it that it is, I think, right now in the United States, where it's kind of experiencing a boom and a lot of young people are getting into it. And it is uh, a lot of people who are, you know, sort of more sort of see faith, uh, their spiritual or religious faith is more central in their in their life, getting drawn to it and, and things like that. Right. You mentioned Ireland. Uh, and I, it's one of the countries I taught several times. And what I noticed, you know, the Irish say that Ireland is the heart of Europe. You know, they like to say that. And I sort of agree. And what I see is that they are very welcoming of Enneagram work in this more emotional way and also a bit freer uh, to, you know, I don't think they question it beforehand as much. Um, and then also there are some other countries like Czech Republic that has a good community and many other countries where the Enneagram is growing big way. And one of them is Russia. There is quite a bit of where Enneagram work starting to happen there. And it's, you know, I think that in countries like China, Russia, uh, Egypt, South Africa, um, the Enneagram is thriving. I just want to say that I do think that Ireland has a lot of great Enneagram work and, and a really nice community. In fact, you know, you know that I have done a um, the Enneagram and my Dante's Divine Comedy workshop in Italy. Uh, I did it for um, four or five years. We had to skip last year and this year because of the pandemic, but we're hoping to do it again next year in Florence in Italy, where I sort of trace the Enneagram through the Divine Comedy as a map of transformation, as two maps of transformation. And interestingly, the impetus for doing that workshop in the first place was from some friends and colleagues in Ireland. Uh, and they really, um, really established this course and i i presented i they invited me to ireland one time with a small group of uh people who use the enneagram in business there and i presented this to them and they just thought it was great and they were the ones that really um started that program in italy and it was a little embarrassing i have to say to be an american teaching dante and the enneagram in florence because we didn't have too many italians uh, come. It was mostly Europeans and Americans. Um, and I sort of felt like I, I didn't really have the right, but, uh, but I do think that there, there is a, the, 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 the Irish culture, like you're saying, there's a kind of heartfulness and openness that I think has, has really embraced it. And you find some amazing people using it in really deep ways there. So let's do go on. And since you brought up Russia, um, my experience, so we were invited to Russia a couple of years ago, but we didn't end up going um, for some reason. It had to be rescheduled. So we haven't been there. Um, but when I was when I did some of Claudio Naranjo's SOT work retreats in Germany, there were some Russian people there who had gotten into the Enneagram because Claudio had actually done a, a SOT retreat or two in Russia. And so I think that had um, helped spread spread the, the work there. Um, I will tell you that something very new that's happening is uh, I was contacted by a woman in Russia that wants to to translate the complete Enneagram. So I think that's another thing. It's like where some of these translations are going 
uh, often has a an impact like what of the sort of more major books in, in the Enneagram world have been translated into different languages and so I'm very excited uh, that there will be a Russian translation Fantastic. of the complete Enneagram available very soon mm-hmm. um, and so I don't think it's hugely widespread in Russia but there's definitely a foothold and um, I've developed some friendships with people that I met at SOT who were based in Moscow and St. Petersburg. And we had uh, Russian students in our workshops in the UK also. What I think is that it's fast growing, you know, in countries like Russia. Yes. And one of the reasons why we're hoping to do more workshops in London when we can do that again in person is because I think London provides a nice hub for people from Europe. And and we've had a lovely mix of people uh, from different countries. And certainly it's easier for Russians to go there than it is for them to go to the U.S. or maybe some other places. Yeah. Last time we had a workshop with 30 plus people and we had 16 different nationalities present. So before we talk about Asia, which I think is really interesting uh, in terms of what's going on with the Enneagram in Asia, maybe let's talk, maybe let's go down to Africa and talk about, um, I think, the countries that we've been most connected to in Africa, um, South Africa and Egypt in the Middle East. Um, First, what would you what would you say about the Enneagram in South Africa? There's quite a bit of Enneagram there. I I would say it's even maybe a global hub of Enneagram work. Um, What do you want to say about? you know, your experience in South Africa with the Enneagram. Also innovative work, you know, people bring in a lot of um, beautiful approaches. Um, you know, I think that uh, it's beautiful to see, I you know, I love South Africa and that land and South Africans. Um, what I think that is the challenge is to integrate the different ethnicities and uh you know, the different cultures within South Africa to come together to all this work. There is a lot of um, Enneagram work going on with the African commu- Africans community and the, um, uh, and the English community, you know. But uh, more and more, it's reaching out, thank God, to... Uh, all other communities, uh, in, including Native Africans. And uh, I absolutely think that countries like South Africa have a role to play in taking the message of the anagram of inclusion, diversity, um, and teach them, uh, teach us all around the world about it. Uh, yeah, and we have friends doing very good work in those places. So it's super um, lively. And then Egypt, wow, we decided to have Cairo as um, one of our main centers because of uh, the enthusiasm of Egyptians and a great school that we found out there called uh, the Field of Awakening. And it's it's really so nice to see how enthusiastic Egyptians are. And I think that uh, that is spreading to several other Middle Eastern countries. Um, Because I think that Egypt sees itself more as uh, a Middle Eastern country than an African country. Um, And it's beautiful, beautiful. 
and I think that the natural religiosity of uh, Egyptians and uh, Muslims in general make it easier for uh, the anagram of um, the spiritual dimension of the anagram to be something they talk about. So it's wonderful to to see how the anagram is thriving in countries like that. It's really fast growing. Uh, not to mention that um, you know there seems seems to be some um, connection between the ancient anagram and Egyptian uh, culture. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's wonderful. And then you know. Uh, you and I, th I believe we think that uh, Egypt is uh, what we could call self-preservation repressed, right? You, you know, I see <laughs> yes. you being very scared when you see the traffic in Egypt. And it's funny that we have a friend from there who is a one and uh, she would not drive as an American would expect a one to drive. Yes, yes. She was going with the flow of the crazy traffic there. Yeah. Driving in a car is a little bit of a scary experience. I think it's easier if you're self-preservation repressed as opposed to self-preservation dominant like me. Mm -hmm. I will say that, um, you know, what you were saying about South Africa and, um, you know, the hopefully the growing in integration and diversity uh, an inclusion of all kinds of people in the Enneagram work, I think it reminds me that it might be important just to name the fact that in many countries, and certainly here in the U.S., unfortunately, the Enneagram work has at times, most of the time, been something done with by people with privilege. Um, and I've sometimes we've had this question of like, well, is the Enneagram inner growth work really only for people who can really afford to do that, you know, either socioeconomically or, you know, they're not having to worry so much about just survival. Um, and I do think that, you know, the way things have gone and certainly things like being able to afford psychotherapy, being able to afford to go to workshops and retreats um, has been a barrier to entry, unfortunately, for some people. Um, I don't think that um, you need to be privileged to do inner, good inner growth work, but of course, access to courses and materials and things like that is an issue. But I think that there's growing awareness about that issue and that there are many teachers and organizations that work with the Enneagram around the world that are realizing that and, and actively working against um, making the Enneagram something that's only available uh, to certain people. And so I just kind of wanted to name that. And I do think that's happening at different places around the world in different ways. Um, and so that might be important to name. For instance, when we talk about China, the fact that, you know, China, the people in China are, they do so much through their, through their smartphones that they're, you know, very inexpensive courses that are taught to a lot of people just on the phone, you know, a, a short course that you take on your phone, uh, can be, you know, watched by, you know, a million people in, in China, and it can be, you know, quite, quite inexpensive. So I think there's a trend happening in that way around the world. Um, certainly in the US, more young people are getting involved. And, you know, sometimes young people before they've established their careers can't afford to go to a, a big, a longer, more expensive workshop. So I think, I think it's important to name that that is a trend that we're seeing everywhere, and that that people are 
reaching out uh, to different uh, communities and and trying to make uh, access to the Enneagram more affordable and more available to more people. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing this up, Nick. And just to say a few more things about um, South Africa, um, I think that that when there have been people in different countries, and, and again, this is the way it's often gone historically, that have, that have come to the United States to train with some of the early Enneagram schools that were established, you know, again, starting in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, oftentimes those people have then brought the, those teachings uh, or related teachings to their countries. And so there are some people, you know, in South Africa with connections to the U.S. who established their own teachings and schools there. And it's, it's really spread out uh, in many different ways. And I would say in South Africa, the Enneagram is really a lot in business. Um, and partly that's because of innovations with com- a couple of companies there who have established tests um, Enneagram tests um, as a starting point into the Enneagram and that those have been um, really have gotten into business in, in a big way in South Africa. I think to say a little more about Egypt, um, I think, yes, there's been an explosion of interest in the last, what, maybe five, six years there. Uh, and we have the great good fortune to be connected with um, some amazing people, teachers who are uh, teaching in a, a personal growth school. They don't just do the Enneagram, but in a very interesting way, um, it's a it's a school that is really dedicated to raising awareness. And so they teach things like NLP and family constellation work and coaching. Uh, and the Enneagram fits in quite nicely with that. But I would say that those schools, I mean, I'm, and I'm not an expert on on this, uh, what's been happening in Egypt, but in my impression is uh, that there are uh, m- more schools like that, um, co- you know, developing, growing up, being established, but they're still relatively new. Um, and it's the Enneagram is a newer thing in Egypt, but certainly it's caught fire there. And there was a conference there. Uh, in 2019. And uh, there's a lot happening, especially around Cairo. So maybe let's talk about Asia at this point. Um, Let's talk about, so I'll I'll say a little bit about the experiences I've had there, and then I'd like to hear more what what your experiences have been. So my my first introduction to working with the Asia, working with um, uh, the Enneagram in a country in Asia was I was invited to Korea twice. Um, and they, Korea was one of the first countries to work on translating my books. So now both the complete Enneagram and the nine types of leadership are available in Korean. And, um, I just found a really large thriving, you know, uh, dedicated community of Enneagram enthusiasts there. Um, I went there to teach the subtypes both times because um, people from Korea who had traveled to other places had, you know, learned about the approach I was using to the subtypes and invited me there. And I've found that people are amazingly friendly and open and warm. And, um, and, and I've just had great experiences in Korea um, with their community there in, in the Enneagram. Yeah, and then I had um, experiences in China uh, and mainland China, uh, which was fantastic. And I really liked all the students I found there. I think 
my experience shows me that probably China is the most vibrant country when it comes to embracing the Enneagram. Um, it's, it's something that people see as a mainstream thing. And um, because of the, the opening that happened uh, in last years for things like the Enneagram, uh, they are hungry for all, the, all of that. And of course, in China, the numbers are totally different. So the number of people who get interested is, is not to be compared with anywhere else. Um, and, um, and then, you know, I felt really welcome with my style of teaching there. And then later on, you came along, for which I was very, very happy. And now you are teacher B, B is the name, um, you know, that is sort of common in Chinese, in Mandarin. And they, I chose a name for myself. They have their American names, you know, each Chinese person. And I chose a Chinese name for me. So they call me Teacher Young, right? And yeah. uh, we have so much fun teaching there. And people are so open and really ready to do good work. Um and, uh, you know, there, there are some cultural aspects that are different, like the, the kind of respect that people have for a teacher is enormous. And, um, uh, and um, that changes a few things, you know, you need even to be careful uh, so that the student stays a bit critical with things that you say, because, um, you know, anything that a teacher says is taken as the truth, you know, and, uh, but I really, really love our Chinese students and some, we partner with a school in Shanghai that is brilliant. They do such a good work. They have a big presence on the internet and they work um, seriously with the Enneagram. Uh, it's a pity that we haven't traveled there again um, during the pandemics, uh, but um, works well and our translator is great. Um, so it's all good. Um, and I really look forward to, to going back to China. We've also been invited to Thailand, which was lovely. There's been actually quite a bit of you know, Enneagram in Thailand, because there were a couple of teachers from the U.S. that actually taught there for several years, uh, one who had been a monk. And um, but we were invited by someone who we met at an international conference, and she actually first approached me to do a, a translation into Thai of the complete Enneagram. Um, and she invited us to come teach there. And we found a lovely, really group of people that she gathered to work with us. And uh, it was interesting because I remember first we did a subtypes workshop there and we were doing panels. And we noticed that um, culturally it was sort of not okay or not a good thing to be a three in the Thai culture because uh, it's Thai, Thai people are very humble and uh, very um, modest. And so it's not thought as a good thing. And you see this in some countries, you know, America, of course, is a three country. Uh, and so that we find a lot of threes here and, and three, three is a good thing to be here. But they're like standing out, wanting recognition, um, self-promotion, those kinds of things aren't really 
um, too accepted in Thai culture. And so we found that some of the, there were no threes and some of them were hiding out as other types. But then it was funny when we went to China, we were with a group of, I think the first group of students we were with were, were 40 people and there were 14 threes. And I remember looking at the threes in the group thinking, okay, I know all those all those people aren't threes. <laughs> and sure enough, I mean, again, the subtypes, we taught the subtypes that time and that helps. And, um, and we sort of, we, we kind of made the, the picture a little bit clearer and more nuanced by bringing in the subtypes and found that some, some of the types people that had typed as threes weren't threes, but it was actually a good thing to be a three in China. And I think Ch the Chinese tell us that China is also a three country. Um, and so it was uh, just very interesting to see the differences in those two countries. Uh, but but it's interesting, too, because there are certain certain ways of languaging things that I think uh, you kind of learn that are sort of better and worse to communicate the Enneagram uh, in different countries. But I think it's it's that's why we really appreciate working with local partners um, and we're really honored and blessed to have some amazing partners yeah, in, in these different countries that we teach in. Um, and they, and we rely on them to help us, you know, orient to um, having a respect for the culture. Although then, then you come along and you mess up the hair of uh, <laughs> a, a, a self-pres one woman on a panel. And then we find out after you're not supposed to touch someone's head. So, so even though you're very respectful of cultural difference, I oh. think that saved you was that yeah. the, the, the woman herself was very grateful and found it to be helpful as as often your interventions are even <laughs> even if they uh look surprising let's say <laughs> right right yeah we okay. have several interesting stories maybe another time we will uh have another podcast telling them you know fun stories sad stories fr uh, scary stories touching stories touching stories and um yeah, so there's and, and more maybe, to talk about. May, maybe just maybe we'll tell the story of how I wound up seeing the inside of a Chinese hospital. <laughs> <laughs> because of something that happened at a workshop. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. And let me tell you, I was impressed with the Chinese healthcare system because yeah. it was quite efficient. Yeah. Um, and they, I got very great treatment. Um, and, now, we can't forget yeah. to talk just a minute about Australia, New Zealand, right? In yes, Australia. I was going to say that. But before we go there, I just want to say one thing about India. Yes. Um, we haven't been to India, and uh, I haven't heard of a lot of Enneagram going on there. However, I have been contacted by different individuals um, asking me different questions at different times. And I've sent, sent my subtype book, my little subtype booklet there. Um, and I, some of the people I've worked with in South Africa, I know have done some work in India. So I think there is Enneagram there. I don't know how much, um, but, but I know that it's, that it's, that is there and it's, it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I hope we go there sometime. Uh, what is great also about Asia, like Thailand, India, is that those cultures are really open to spirituality and uh, we can teach the Enneagram as you and I like with those higher, higher level experiences and virtues and holy ideas. And that's very welcome. Yes. So let's talk about Australia and New Zealand um, while we're in that part of the world. So 
um, Australia was one of the first places I was invited to teach. Um, I think back in 2011, I want to say. Um, and again, there was, uh, an Australian, uh, Enneagram teacher who had come to train, um, at the same school that we trained in here in the U S and he had brought, uh, the Enneagram there. And subsequently there have been a lot of Australians who have come and trained here and have, um, really developed the Enneagram teachings and developed different communities. However, a little bit like the UK, I think it hasn't really taken hold at a deeper level. Um, and and the Australians tell me that they're probably a six culture or maybe even counterphobic six um, in that there's a, some suspicion of, you know, things that are spiritual or to, or psychological at times. Um, I've talked to some coaches that work with the Enneagram in Australia, and they say, you know, it's a little bit rare to see the Enneagram being used uh, in coaching or business in a, in a in a widespread way. It's here and there, but it's, it's, a, it's I think there's a little more suspicion, mistrust, questioning. Um, but we have many amazing colleagues in Australia and good, good friends. Um, and I love, love, love Australia and the Australian people and the spirit of Australia. And so while it's there, I think it's, um, sometimes, you know, not, not as fully embraced as it is in some other places. Yeah. What I see B is that it's a little bit of the same, uh, culture as the UK, uh, and Australia was a colony of the U UK and, um, you know, I think that that comes from the very same uh, positioning, uh, you know, wanting to have validation of different kinds, and and that doesn't favor yet a system that works with both psycho very deep psychological and spiritual uh, concepts. Now, having said that, I also have uh, the experience of having taught there several times in Australia. I also love the country and people there. And it goes really well when uh, we just uh, offer the work. And more recently, we've been getting more students from New Zealand quite interested, right? Yes. In fact, in our five-day workshop we just did last week, we had two people join us from Auckland, New Zealand, even though it was the middle of the night for them when the online course was scheduled. So I just felt so deeply grateful to them for, for going out of their way like that to join us. And uh, I think there is a lot of growing interest in, in New Zealand. We also actually had some people travel all the way to the U.S., um, I think in 2019, 2018, before, before we couldn't meet in person, um, and that was uh, lovely. And so I definitely think there's uh, there's a growing interest in New Zealand as well as Australia. Yeah, yeah it's wonderful. I remember having worked uh, once in Australia with a man coming from the Maori culture in New Zealand. And uh, while we, you know, my, my way of doing work, uh, that was my work with the mat, the Enneagram mat, and we ended up doing the haka on the mat to help uh, some healing with him. And tell us what the haka is. Well, the haka is that, uh, you know, the famous All Blacks rugby team in New Zealand, they do that movement, which is Aboriginal, uh, mm. uh, before they start the match. It was like a, a, it's like a dance. of force and a dance. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that my uh, most remarkable occasion with the Enneagram B was when I had this amazing opportunity of doing some Enneagram work with the mat in an, in, uh, an in indigenous tribe in Brazil. And I got to work with people who are Indians. And, um, and then the chief Indian, who happened to be a woman, you know, she said something that touched me so deeply. She said, I'm liking this Enneagram thing because it's not something that you're coming here to teach me. It's like we know it in the inside and we just bring it out. So, yeah, it's so beautiful, isn't it, to see uh, the Enneagram reaching out to so many different cultures and such an honor that we have and privilege to be able to travel and share it with different people. I think it's really something that has the power to unite us uh, and because it transcends culture and difference and it's, it's, it's a symbol of, the, of unity and multiplicity. Right. And if on one hand, you and I really miss traveling and seeing people in person, which is much better, um, you know, this moment with the internet, uh, because of the pandemics, allowed many people who can't travel either for financial reasons or because of visas to join our courses. Um, So both ways have advantages. And it's so good to see the Enneagram spread all around. So I think this has been great. I'm glad to be able to talk about the Enneagram all around the world. Me too. Thank you for suggesting this theme. It's time for our top five. What is our top five today, B? Our top five today is one I think people may find very interesting. It's the top five types most likely to start a fight on Facebook or social media generally. Huh. Wow. Okay. I think I know why you came up with this <laughs> theme and you probably won't say, but um, yeah. Um, I've just right, been, so, yeah, I've just been thinking, noticing lately a few fights that have started on uh, Facebook, especially And just reflecting on the fact that, you know, I think I go out of my way not to start fights, (laughs) but fights do occur. (laughs) And uh, I was just reflecting on why this happens or what's going on. And, you know, of course, fights happen in the world. But I think on Facebook or social media, it's sort of interesting because you're having the fight, but you're not actually in the room with each other. There's a way that something is happening uh, where you can be at a distance. Um, and also, I, I thought, especially I think in the Enneagram world or in Enneagram discussion groups, I think for me, one of the things I notice about the ways that sometimes uh, fights get started is, you know, differing views on things. Um, but also, one of the things that I know. Well, I won't get ahead of myself. We can talk about this as we go on. Um, yeah, I just want to say, B, that uh, I considered who actually start a, an argument um, because I could have had a, uh, some different um, criteria here. Like if, it's, if, it, if it was people who start a controversy, 
and not yet a fight, but a controversy that will lead to a fight, I would have included sevens on my top five because I have I have several friends who are sevens who do exactly that. They don't start a fight, but they write what they know will start a fight, and they have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> so they they say something provocative, although that's technically maybe not starting a fight, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sevens aren't on my list either. Okay. So what's, what did you put for your number five most likely to start a fight on Facebook? I put once. Because, yeah, wins can be very opinionated and go against more easily than other types. But it's only number five for me because I don't see that happening as much in written for ones. I think they hold back more and they also tend to be more polite, even formal at times on, uh, on social media. That's very interesting because my number five is also one. Mm. Uh, and this is because, you know, I don't think that ones are at the top of the list of starting fights on Facebook. And many times, like you said, fives are more trying to be polite or appropriate or state their opinion as their own opinion. However, I think ones do have strong opinions. And actually, one of the things I admire about ones is they're often very forthright in stating their opinion. Um, but of course, people with strong opinions um, can sometimes or more likely get into conflicts with others. And I think Facebook is no exception. So what's your number four? My number four is sixes. I think they, they start fights somewhat often. Um, especially if they are sexual sixes, but also, you know, just uh, going against and and uh, offering a different view on things and questioning. And that is sometimes the trigger of some fights. And I think that happens in my own experience a bit more with sixes than with ones. I think we're having a mind meld here because I also put six at my position number four. Uh, so I agree with you. I think, again, sixes can sometimes go against the authority or push back on people who have strong opinions and uh, can, I think, maybe some subtypes more than other subtypes, maybe more the the sexual six than the other two subtypes, but also the social six because they can tend to be very intellectual and and uh, have strong opinions that they don't sugarcoat. Um, so, so yes, anything else you would say about why you put six there? Uh, it's just experience, you know. Um, you know, knowing many people's types, I just uh, observe that sometimes, you know, the fights start with uh, or involve sixes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What is your number three? My number three is type eight. Oh, why? And, well, um, I think, you know, I, I do think eights get stereotyped as having more conflict than they do. So I want to say that at the outset. 
Um, that said, I think eights can be very strong in their opinions. They can um, say things in a very authoritative way. And sometimes I think that's what sparks conflicts on Facebook is someone will say something as if it's fact. And I think sometimes eights can be that way. They can see their view as the only view or as equal to the truth. Uh, and so I would say that that's, again, one way that especially on Facebook where people are, you know, at a distance and just writing things to each other. I think eights can be very strong in, in what they say and um, not always considering other points of view right away. So so that's why I put eight eight right there. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What's what's your number three? Yeah, amazingly, it's also eight. Wow. Yay. And yeah. we didn't we didn't compare notes, people. <laughs> uh, are you sure you didn't copy mine? <laughs> I'm quite sure since you're in London and I'm in San Francisco. Okay. So eight um what I would add on top of what you said is that they um you know I don't think their preference is to fight online. I think they prefer <laughs> to fight in person. Right. You know, it's more, it gets a bit more physical, you know. Um, but um, I, I just think that eights sometimes simply lack the patience of doing that. And it's not my experience that most of the fights have started with them, although a few, yeah. Yeah. And I just want to clarify for the listener that um, when you say eights get more physical, that doesn't mean that oh, yeah, yeah. they're violent. <laughs> I think it just, I, I know you and I know what you uh, meant is that it's visceral. You know visceral. my bad English also. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, it's more visceral. It's more energetic. And so, of course, when yeah, I think body types, you know, the body is always in the present moment. And so I think there's a way that body types connect Measure completely energy. differently. Yeah, exactly. Completely differently when they're live in person. It's funny. I always think of uh, my, I have one of my dearest friends is a nine. Um, and she was my best friend from graduate school and she lives in, she's, we, we haven't lived in the same place for a long time. First she lived in Chicago and then she, now she lives in Connecticut. And uh, she, she was so funny because I, I like, I love her so much, but we don't really communicate very often. Um, and one time I was visiting her and, uh, we got together in New York city. She came down when I was there and she said to me, I, I didn't know I missed you until I saw you. <laughs> and I thought that was such a great example of the body type. You know, it's like a little bit more, you know, out of sight, out of mind or out of present moment, out of mind. Um, yeah. although, uh, Although that's not true all the time, of course. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting to see, at least in my experience, that body types in general seem to be um, having a harder time during the pandemics, even than hard types, you know, in general. I, I, I just see that it's not comfortable for most of them. Yeah, yeah. So what's your number two? And what I mean is, isolation not being physically together with others but my number two is a draw um, between twos and fours wow yeah because you know i'm not completely sure why but i just observe that these two more emotional types um in practice 
produce more conflicts uh, than eights, even than eights. And I think that they um, they sometimes might um, want to produce connection by doing a little bit of that. But I would I would like to also hear your explanation in case you feel something similar to this. Yeah, you know I I don't have two on my list. I, I actually at my number two position I have five. Um, but I will say something about wow. two and four. I, I actually don't experience my two, the twos that I know as starting fights on Facebook. I definitely think twos can get involved in fights on Facebook. Um, I've definitely seen that. But I think like if I think of myself and if I think of myself and the self-pres twos I know, it's like we're a little bit too sensitized to being liked to really say things that are too provocative as a first, uh, a first expression of something. Um, I think sometimes we can get upset by things other people say, and sometimes we can have a hard time uh, not reacting. So I would say that's true. But in terms of like starting the fight, I would say twos, not so much. Now, even the social twos, I know, some of them, many of them are less personal on Facebook. It's really interesting. I'm thinking of a few, like more than one. Uh, and of course, it's a small, a small sample set. But I think of some of the social twos I know, and they're actually kind of quiet on Facebook. It's like they do a little bit more promoting of their work and their events or their families or their kids. They're not so much making themselves very vulnerable on Facebook, interestingly. This is just my sense of things. And so my sense is that twos don't start it. However, I will say, mm. you know, twos will get into the fray once it starts. So I'm not mm. saying that we don't participate. I would just say if it's like most likely to start the fight, I would not put twos on the list. Now, maybe now, I considered yeah. you and you considered only other twos. <laughs> I never start fights on Facebook. I go out of my way to try to avoid that. But of course, I'm uh, just provoking you so that you start a fight. Yeah, yeah. Now, so I start a fight with you, but that's different. (laughs) And we're not on Facebook. Uh, So, but let me say a word about. I, I, I just want to say that I find it really interesting that my number two is two and it's not on your list and your number two is five and it's not on my list. <laughs> that is very interesting. And it's interesting that our first three were the same and then we have each other at the number two position and not at all on our own list. So, but let me say something about five. When I've thought about, so one of the things I thought about is sort of the the different fights that I've seen happen on Facebook over time, um, especially not so much lately, but especially a little bit in the past, I thought a lot of them were, were, and actually even the, I would say the comments, some of the comments that I see that piss me off (laughs) on Facebook are from fives. And I think one of the things that I think is a trigger for me, and I'll own this myself, is when people say things that they make statements of opinion, but they, but they frame it as fact and they talk about something they know as an authority when I don't actually think they have the authority to say what they're saying. And I think sometimes I see fives doing that on Facebook. And I and I wonder if, you know, social media is a little bit of an easier 
place for some fives to be provocative because they're at a distance. They're, they're not actually there. I just remember there was one guy in particular, I actually unfriended because I kept being infuriated by the things that he was saying on Facebook. It was just, I think it's easier for them to be provocative. And I've just noticed that they, they make very strong statements. Um, and again, I, I think probably not so much the self-preservation five, it's probably more the social five and the sexual five. And of course, sexual fives and social fives can be very warm and friendly and not at all conflictual. Uh, but I just think over like, I've been, I thought of who, who has started most of the big fights that I've noticed on Facebook. And I, and I know, I, I know that in my experience, yeah. some of them were fives. I think there might be a hope for fives that if there is a conflict conflict on social media, it will be a conflict of opinions as opposed to a conflict uh, that happens in person. Yeah. And I think, I think what I'm, what I'm really thinking is that one of the things that, again, I want to own that triggers me and gets me mad is when people make statements that sound very arrogant on Facebook. And so that's that's what I was thinking of, especially for my top two is when I've seen or top two or three statements that people make that it's like this or this is like this. And I notice when I communicate on Facebook, even when I'm saying something that I do know a lot about, you know, that I am an authority on potentially the few things I am. Um, even then I try to state it a little bit tentatively. Like it might not be that for a way for everyone that I could, you know, it's just my opinion, things like that. Whereas I think what triggers me is when people say things that sound very arrogant and let's face it, sometimes fives can be arrogant. Um, although, um, although of course that's a generalization. My number one is four um, and probably, and then I have in parentheses, most likely sexual four. And again, I love the sexual four. So I don't, I don't want it to be like, I'm, it's not a criticism. It's just something I've noticed uh, that the people who I have seen in start fights or, and sometimes it's inadvertent. Sometimes it's, again, it's saying something as if I'm the final authority and I think that's what sometimes people react to, like they have a different opinion or they see it differently or they know it's different. And that person doesn't leave any room for disagreement. And that's, I think, what sometimes drives a conflict uh, when people do disagree and they and they already feel like, you know, that person is not acknowledging that there could be any other opinion. So that was my number one. What's What's your number one? Well, that was the same reasoning for me when I had four in my draw, number two. But my number one is the social repressed instinct person of any of the nine types, meaning that <laughs> the social instinct is last on the instinctual sequence, and especially oh. if the sexual dominant is first. I think that that particular sequence, sexual first social last uh, leads to conflicts in general but also on social media to being more frequent um, and and I think you know I left this for my number one because I do think that um, instincts on in this case have a very very big weight uh, even more than types and uh, yeah that's what occurred to me I know it's 
you know, I changed the format and that's sort of surprising, but yeah, this is, this was my yes. take. That was very tricky of you to, to do that. I was wondering when you put two and four at number two, what, what could possibly be your number one? Um, but that, yeah. that, that's, I think, a good point to make that when people's social instinct is repressed, there is often a kind of, you know, just a tendency not to be considering how things will sound to the crowd. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Any last thoughts about this, this one? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting and uh, I liked um, thinking about this one and then comparing our notes and they were mostly very similar. Yes, at least three-fifths of the way, they were very similar. <laughs> okay. Yeah, more than that. Thank I you for listening. as one of my number two, you know. Yes, exactly. That's right. It may be almost four-fifths similar. Um, you just have to learn to see twos more realistically and then we'll be almost the same (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah one of one of these days you'll learn okay yeah well well, i'm doing my best (laughs) yeah all right well thank you for listening join us again for our enneagram 2.0 podcast where we talk about all things enneagram